0: Hey there! Welcome to Hungry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, a bust some nutrition myths because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian, and an ADHD girly here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet. <laughs> I think I was so off key with that, but hello and welcome to the episode. Today we, oh, my name's Abby. My name's Abby. You heard that in the intro, but hi, hello. This episode today is all about the fitness, fitness, fit, fitness industry paradox. And I got a lot on my mind. I got a lot of hangry thoughts. And the first thing that really comes to my mind is just how fucking toxic I was when the fitness industry was my entire identity. So I will be talking about that today. Um, I, I don't, I'm not excusing my past actions. I'm not off the hook. I am very much going to hold myself accountable for all these things that I say in this episode today, because chances are... Majority of these things that I'm going to share with you about this paradox is or are things that I said, did, believed, lived by, whatever. Okay? Um, I I wasn't the greatest person when it comes to diet culture, especially back in, like, 2015. Um, a lot of that now goes back to how much of my life was ugh, consumed, enveloped by fitness. So... When I was in college, I... Oh, kitty? Is there a cat? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There was a little shadow though, went past the door, and I was like, is a friend here? Um, Okay. Mm, keep on the topic, Abby. So when I was in college, um, especially right when I got in at like 2015, this is when I was coming out of my athlete era. I was a big track athlete. I ran cross country, played basketball, and I really had my hopes and dreams set on running track in college. And a big proponent of me not doing that was because I was a little shithead to myself, you know? I everything that came out of my mouth or everything that I thought regarding myself or my athletic abilities was negative. I, I was a really good runner. I was a really strong 400 runner. And you know, if I just had a little bit more compassion and non-judgment that I held for myself during that time, I probably could have ran in college. I probably could have, but I always psyched myself out. I remember I would get on that start line and I, I already had lost the race before it even started. And that's such a cliche, but it was so true because the second I got into my blocks, I was already thinking, you're going to fail, Abby. You're not going to do good enough. You're not going to beat your PR. So what's the, the point in even trying? You, you don't look good today. So everyone's going to notice that like, oh, my God. And so when I got into college, I had this really big identity crisis of like, who who is Abby without track? cross-country, basketball, practices, training sessions, whatever. And I, I like I've talked about, I've I struggled a lot with eating disorders during this time of my life as well. So of course, that really uh throws, what what's the saying? Not throws a needle in the haystack, it really throws a wrench into the, throws a wrench into the something something. And I, ugh. Where, where was I going with that? God, is this whole episode just going to be me doing my donkey laughs of like, <laughs> okay, I, where was I going with this? I really struggled with being kind to myself. And so when I was in college, I just, I, I thought that I needed to do something fitness based. And if I didn't do that, then my whole identity and who I was as a person was just lost And no one would respect me. I wouldn't have any friends. I would fail in school if I wasn't still the fit person. So this really quickly spiraled into me looking at all of the ways that I could be in the gym. Because especially during 2014, like 2016, this was like the rise of fitness, fitspo's, fitspo's? Yeah where it was all of these like hot chicks on Instagram who had these really buff bodies. Just, oh my God, have you guys seen the, um, oh my God, what is it called? The I think you should leave skit of the little buff boys, little buff boys, (laughs) that's what I just thought of. If you haven't, look it up. Um, And I, I just would compare myself incessantly to these girls and be like, well, if they're personal trainers, I have to be a personal trainer because then that means that my job is working out. And then that would mean I could spend all of my time in the gym. And then that would mean that I would be healthy. And then that would mean people would like me. And you can see how fast of a spiral that gets, right? And I, I really just, I, looking back, I really just wanted to be accepted. And I thought that the way I needed to do that was through fitness or really through changing my body. And when we're talking about the fitness industry and where I'm all going with this is this paradox, the greatest paradox about the fitness industry. It's that, you know, movement is meant to promote well-being and longevity, and yet The fitness industry actively encourages these quick fixes, rigid plans, and comparisons. So like similar to diet culture, the fitness industry, it's a business, right? It needs a problem to solve. It needs something to get us to come back and want more. So here are some examples that I came up with of like, hey, want to get shredded? You're in luck. We're running a 30-day challenge for the month of October. At the end, we'll weigh and measure everyone's body composition and whoever changed the most during the challenge wins. And typically you win like a pat on the back or like a little random certificate from your gym, right? Or another example, you need to lose weight. Well, here's a meal plan with not enough nourishment and filled with foods that aren't regularly included in your current diet. You should be able to adhere to that just fine, right? Like that's not a big deal. That's easy. And my last example is, oh, you're not motivated to work out. Just suck it up and go anyway. The hardest part of working out is just getting to the gym. There's no pain, no gain, right? So remember, if you don't have motivation or discipline, you're lazy and gross. Enough, enough. Shut up, people. (laughs) I just, uh, now when I say that, I really felt these things in 2015, 2016. And I'm guilty of saying that myself of like no pain, no gain, or just get to the gym and I'll be fine. Doesn't matter if you have 30 things on your to-do list. Prioritize your workout because it's only, what is it? What do they say? Like 1% of your day or whatever. Ugh, God. The fitness industry is so disconnected from health and reality, you know? So another part of my story within all of this is I was a bodybuilder and competed in the fitness category from 2016 to 2018. So if you're not familiar with bodybuilding, and you know, I've been out of that space for five, going on six years now, but you have bikini, which was what a lot of the girly fitspo's on Instagram were doing. So that the idea of that one is like not too much muscle and you have to be lean, but not too lean. You have to still look toned, but not too like. mm. And then the fitness category was a little bit more of have muscle. We want to see your, your muscular striations, We want your muscles to pop, but also still have a feminine figure and still be lean. And then physique is the next one where that is like be buff, be the little buff boys, like be as strong as you could possibly look. And then of course, like you're still very thin, you know? And physically now, if we're talking about like the fitness industry or societal standards, I looked fit. Now, fit or in shape are terms that I use very loosely because of all the assumptions that come with it. And I don't like to use especially the the phrase in shape anymore because then it's, it's making it seem like there's a certain shape that you have to be to be acceptable or fit or healthy or whatever. When someone looks in shape, we're typically referring to a straight sized person, right? Or a thin person of a particular body composition. And we assume that they're healthy because they have this perfect diet and exercise regimen. And then we stop there. We don't ask any further questions. We just kinda continue to fixate on statements like, I wish I had your discipline. What are your macros like? And you get the picture. So why am I sharing all of this and how is this fitting particularly into this episode of the Fitness Paradox? Because looking and actually being healthy are two completely different things. They are in separate camps. In my years of a bodybuilder, as well as the years leading up to and following, were part of the most unhealthiest times of my life. My entire life revolved around food, the gym, and my body. And this reflected in other areas of my life. I had zero capacity to do anything else in my life because I was just burnt out and exhausted. So school, friendships, relationships, social life, extracurriculars, income, and more suffered. I, I would cancel sessions with my personal training clients because I was either too exhausted or stressed about getting in my own workout. I, I would also fall asleep in classes because my body was so depleted. And I was mean to the people in my life because my eating disorder brain clouded so many aspects of my life and I could not think clearly. And I see that now that I'm out of it. And I see that now as I'm a dietitian who helps support or helps support people within their eating disorder recovery or disordered eating recovery. And it's hard as hell to be in that place, especially when you don't yet see how the eating disorder is affecting you, or don't yet see that you have an eating disorder, or are obsessed with exercise. And I remember in my bodybuilding competition, it was in my first show. And I'm not going to share what I did for workouts, what I ate, how much weight I lost. But I wasn't, I was not at a weight that I I needed to be at in order to have my period and, and be healthy and have my hormones functioning properly and have a clear head and not have this massive brain fog and dizziness. And so I'm up on this stage and I'm comparing myself to these other gals that are up there with me And I got dead last in this competition, dead last. And I was heartbroken over this, but the thing that the judges told me really just set me over the edge and just, it was almost like, it was almost like one of them just kicked me right in the face and was like, you fucking suck. You're ugly, fat, gross, not smart, do better. Like that's what I heard when they told me this. They said that I was still too fluffy and I needed to eat less and lift more if I wanted to have a chance with the other girls on the stage. They said that it didn't look like I wanted this enough. And so in my eating disorder brain, I heard that I was lazy and not disciplined and that I needed to do more eat less, work out more, whatever it was. Because damn it, I was going to be a pro bodybuilder, a pro fitness competitor, because that's what these other girls on Instagram are doing. And that is the only way that I can be accepted and feel like I am enough. Now, spoiler, spoiler alert, I did one more show and then quit afterwards because I realized how awful I felt mentally, physically, emotionally. And that was the end of my bodybuilding career. And maybe I'll make another episode on this at a later time. But to continue more so on this topic, the next thing that was coming to my mind when I thought of this fitness industry paradox of them saying that it's all for health, when really there's, there's a lot of toxicity wrapped up in it, is that being healthy has very little to do with body composition and aesthetics. So again, when we've talked about those determinants of health, it's, in, it's including things like access to quality and equitable medical care, physical environment, genetics and biology, occupation, mental health, sexual activity, substance use, discrimination, work conditions, diet, and exercise. Woo! So individual behaviors are making up 36% of determining one's health, and diet and exercise make up a significantly smaller portion of this whole pie chart. It's like 3% if that. And now I'm not arguing that diet and exercise aren't important for your health, but rather that we place too much emphasis and stress on it and act as if it's this end-all be-all. How many times have you heard the fitness industry say that we have the same 24 hours in a day? Or no excuses. A one-hour workout is only, there we go, 4% of your day. 4%. 4%. Personally, as someone that was a trainer for seven years, in a college setting, in a, in a grad school professional setting, and then at more like commercial gyms, I have heard this more times than I could even count. And I probably have said this more times than I could count. It disregards the fact that people who need to work long or odd hours to make ends meet people who need to care for their family, maybe they lack transportation access, they have the disability and much more. And it's unfair and just, it's ignorant for the fitness industry to assume this and then use it to get guilt people into exercise or feel shame for not exercising. And I don't know, but that doesn't seem very health promoting to me. And I know damn well for myself that the time that I had to work out in college was so much easier and accessible and fit into my schedule more so than it does now as someone in their career. And back then in college, I lived a mile away from a gym. I could walk to class from there or walk to the gym from class if I wanted to. And now it's at least a 15 minute drive to the gym. Another point that I had, I had a lot of points. Number two, glamorizing the gym as the main form of movement. And so again, with this rise of social media, there are so many fitness influencers whose literal job is to post workouts. Their job is to pose in workout sets or clothing, promote brands. And so This can kind of all tie into the same 24 hours in a day mantra because this point is more directed at how movement is overcomplicated. Why are we associating productive movement with the gym? Why are other forms of movement not considered productive? Something that I use a lot with my clients now as a dietitian who are looking to heal their relationship with movement, is this. What did you do for for play as a kid? Did you play tag, the playground, dance, sports, jump rope? How did you vo- view movement back then? And I would venture to guess that movement didn't feel mandatory then. It was just fun. And what happened to that? Movement doesn't have to be in the gym to be productive and productive looks different every single day. Some days, sure, maybe you do want to go to the gym because you want to lift weights or go on the elliptical. Maybe some days you wanna take a exercise class. Other days, you're in need of stretching or yoga. Maybe you wanna go outside. During summer, maybe it's paddle boarding and pickleball, and then in the winter, maybe it's skiing, doing a snowman, snowshoeing. All of this is movement. And all of this is productive. There's no one form of movement that's better or more elite than another form of movement. And rest is productive and necessary. And we need it to recover and rebuild tissues. So when we say that we all have the same 24 hours in a day, there's no truth in that at all. And someone that you're seeing online that is posting workouts because it is their literal job to do so they are able to work out and be paid for that. Whereas the average person has a nine to five and then they have to go maybe care for their family or their pets or get an oil change or go to the grocery store. And then before they know it, it's like 8 PM. And they're like, Oh my God, I haven't even had dinner yet. I have to make dinner. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, I gotta go to bed. So we need to make sure that when we're comparing ourselves and I'm guilty of this too, But when we're comparing ourselves to these people that we see online, especially with these fitspo's, we have to remind ourselves, do they have easier access and ability to get to the gym? My next point, overhyping calories in versus calories out for weight loss. This is a big statement people in the fitness industry and wellness industry make. I was guilty of saying this myself when I was a trainer and also in school to be a dietitian. This whole calories in calories out formula for weight loss is a myth because it oversimplifies this really complex process of calculating energy intake and expenditure. And it's failing to consider mechanisms our bodies trigger to counteract a reduction in energy intake. And I decided while I was creating this episode that this next episode that I will record and that'll come out is going to be dedicated to calories in versus calories out. And I'm going to go more in depth with that concept in that episode. And I'm going to save my hangry thoughts for then. So stay tuned for that one. Point number four, pressing people to do the in body, which is a um, like body composition scan where it kind of breaks down. Okay, this is your fat-free mass, like your muscle mass, your bone density, your your fat mass, or to get on a scale. Now, I have worked at a, f- a few gyms that have really prioritized the idea of the in-body. And in my most recent gym that I worked at, my God, I gave them so much pushback on this. And I probably came off pretty bitchy. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't care. I was like... I'm sorry, but me speaking up about this issue of pressing people to sit on the in-body and it tell them uh, how much body fat they have or wh- how much they weigh, and then you telling them this plan of how we're gonna make you lose weight in X amount of days is not helpful to anyone. And I would see people come into this gym while I'd be doing a personal training session or a class, And either members would come up to me to talk about it or I would overhear them talking amongst other members or trainers of like, oh, my God, I just jammed my toe into this table. Oh, my God, that hurt like a mother. I would see them talking and they would be saying things like, oh, yeah, I'm going on vacation next week. So I'm going to have to do twice a day workouts and then, you know, cut back my calories if I'm going to make my my in body improve the next time I do a weigh in. Or someone else coming up and go, oh my God, I'm a skinny legend. My in body is the best it's ever looked since I started here five months ago. And then when I would ask them things of like, are you still enjoying your workouts? How is your body feeling? Are you getting enough to eat? Are you feeling okay doing social things with friends? Those questions would almost always be disregarded. Or bits and pieces of them would be like, like skipped over, or it'd be like, Oh, yeah, no, I'm getting enough to eat. But then when we talk about socializing, it's like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So this idea that body composition or that number on the scale is this end all be all this magic thing that we need to do for our health. We're then disregarding all of those other aspects of those actual determinants of health. And my, oh my God, my next point is very similar. And that's why I kind of lumped them together is weight loss challenges. So again, the same gym that I worked at, I wish I could name drop it, but <laughs> NBA, they had so many weight loss challenges. And honestly, every gym that I've worked at has had weight loss challenges. And at first, especially College Abby, thought it was great. It was like, oh my God, we are losing weight together. We're all so healthy and skinny. Look at us go. And now Wiser Abby is like, ooh, yeah, that's problematic. And the reason why I say that it's problematic now is because Look at this emphasis that we put on our body needing to change and having to lose weight, especially in a short amount of time, as most of these challenges do, whether it's like a 30-day challenge, a, a fall, fall challenge, and they're like, we're going to do this over October, November. It's, it's placing this emphasis on you need to change your body shape, size, and weight in this time allotted. And if you do, we'll praise you for it. We will have a party afterwards. We'll give you a certificate. We'll give you um, a free bag or or protein shake or whatever. And what happens after that challenge is done? What happens to your body's weight shape or size? What happens to your love for working out or moving your body? What happens to your relationship with the gym after that challenge? For some people, with the first challenge, it excites them. And they go, hell yeah, that was super fun and that that was a really good challenge. I want to do it again. And then for other people, maybe those ones are a little bit more seasoned with these challenges and they've been doing it for a while. They go, fuck, I am burnt out. I don't know why I started working out in the first place. I don't know why I ever loved weightlifting, or CrossFit, or cardio, or spin, whatever it is. What am I doing? My body hasn't changed. What the hell? What am I doing wrong? I I do all these challenges. I'm doing everything right, but I'm not because my body is still the same. And so these weight loss challenges are, again, a part of this business model in the fitness industry where it's getting everyone hyped up about these challenges they're promised to see. And then if they do or don't happen, by the end of the challenge, we typically go back to the ways that we were working out prior, eating prior to the challenge. And we gain that weight back. And that is not at the fault of the individual. That is at the fault of diet culture and the fitness industry. Creating these challenges and these fads that are not realistic, sustainable, and quite literally drive us to burnout so that we inevitably fail and then have to do another challenge, have to do another diet. So we keep giving them our money. My next point is this lack of diversity and inclusion. And this is certainly something that we see within the fitness industry, wellness, diet culture, but the fitness industry specifically has historically been exclusive and failing to represent and cater to diverse populations. We can think even just like with Instagram. It wasn't until the past few years that more black women who are fitspo's were becoming more popular on Instagram. It was a lot of white women who were fitspo's. This lack of diversity not only perpetuates systemic inequalities, but it also limits the effectiveness of fitness programs and initiatives. So in this context, when I'm thinking of diversity and fitness, I'm speaking a lot to body size and shape, as well as culture, ethnicity, race. Even in 2023, it's rare that we see diverse body shapes and sizes with trainers and group fitness instructors. It's also rare that we see this in like fitness ads, pictures, stock photos, uh, clothing lines for exercise, uh, exercise. Did I just say clothing for exercise? Is that clothing for exercise? athleisure. Yep, that's the word. (laughs) It's essential for the fitness industry to actively address and rectify this issue by embracing diversity and promoting inclusivity. And yes, this, this issue runs much deeper. And yes, this issue really crosses into many, if not all industries. But With fitness, this involves actively recruiting fitness professionals from diverse backgrounds and cultures, providing culturally sensitive fitness programs, and creating safe and inclusive spaces for individuals from all walks of life. That also includes... If you go to a gym, do they have machines and equipment available for someone in a wheelchair? Does the group fitness class offer modifications, progressions, regressions for people that are new to fitness or exercise that have a disability that feel pain in the movement? There's so many things. And my last point is the lack of personalized approach. So that, again, also includes those modifications, progressions, regressions. And a lot of gyms that I've worked at as well didn't do a great job of that. It was almost like this unwritten or or even written rule that if you couldn't do the movement, then that just meant that you weren't ready for the class. And I so wholeheartedly disagree with that notion and this belief. Because what the fuck, you know, (laughs) like if if the fitness industry is here to say, we want people to be healthy, we want people to move their bodies, we want to encourage them to do these things, then why the fuck are we turning around and going, well, if you can't do this movement, then you just shouldn't be working out. Or maybe you should just go to the other class or do some like personal training. That's going to be more expensive for you. Um, because we don't want to take the time to figure out a way that this class will work for you, your body and your fitness level. And that's fucked up. That's fucked up. So many fitness programs, fail to tailor them to individuals. And personalization is a crucial aspect of fitness, and it's often overlooked within this industry. Now, I don't want to lump all trainers, instructors, and gyms into this, but what I am saying is that so many are guilty of not doing this. So many are guilty of just saying, too bad, suck it up, do the movement anyway. I don't care if it hurts your knees. Or they say, mm, you should just set this whole workout out, come back tomorrow. Many fitness programs and trainers adopt a one-size-fits-all approach. And they neglect the unique needs, preferences, and goals of individuals. So by failing to tailor fitness programs to individuals, the fitness industry limits progress and hinders the overall effectiveness of exercise programs. So that again is that paradox coming back in. It's essential for fitness professionals to adopt a personalized approach and understand their client specific needs and goals and create individualized exercise programs to maximize results and promote engagement and adherence. Because what's the point of having someone come into one class and then the trainer shames them so badly or embarrasses them. I wouldn't want to come back to that fucking class. I wouldn't want to come back to a gym ever if, if that was the case. And actually, another point that I'm thinking of right now within gym culture itself is there is such a strong feeling and, and valid feeling for that matter that you can't be a beginner in the gym. Or that if you are a beginner in the gym, everybody knows, everyone's looking at you and you're doing it wrong. And I would like to sit on that point for a second because I have felt this. I had clients when I was a personal trainer feel this. I have friends that have felt and feel this. And I'm trying to think of a person that truly has not had that feeling ever in their life when it comes to the gym. And I don't know if I can think of a person that hasn't yet when we have that feeling, we feel very alone in it. And it feels like all eyes are on us when we're in that gym. When I worked at our recreation center at University of Arizona as a, a personal trainer, I did group fitness classes. And then by my senior year, I was the, what was it Like the student, what was that? Well, I can't even remember what my position was called. I was the The student fitness director, I think is what it was. So I worked a lot with personal trainers and instructors. And when I would be working in the gym, I would hear a lot of people coming into the class being like, this is my first class. I'm really nervous. And sometimes the trainers just going, oh, you'll be fine. Just be in the front with me or just be in the back and kind of leaving it at that. I also, this is kind of off topic, but I think it's funny. So, (laughs) so when, when, (laughs) oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, you know, when there's like a bunch of dudes in the gym. And this is especially like at a college gym, I feel like. But then a lot of like Planet Fitness, LA Fitness, 24 uh, Hour Fitness does this too. Where it's where all the dumbbells are lined up against the mirror. And there's benches. And there's just dudes doing bicep curls or tricep dips or overhead presses or doing a little bench press. And they're all staring at themselves in the mirror. And they're just like, yeah, look at me. Bicep curl this dumbbell. Look at me do that squat. Oh, yeah, it looks so good and strong. I call that the masturbation station (laughs) because that's literally what seems like is going on. And I shared that with one of my nutrition clients like a few months ago when we first started talking about healing relationship with movement and fearing the gym. And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Think about the gym as this. (laughs) And the next time you see a big scary man in the gym, bicep curling whatever weight, think about it as the masturbation station. And think about how into himself that man over there is. Hopefully that takes you out for a second and you go, all right, that guy is so self-absorbed right now that they're not looking at me. They're not thinking of me. I can do Whatever I want in this gym right now. No one gives a flying fuck. I, I, and I don't want to say that. To like invalidate your feelings. Because they are so real. And I, I completely understand them. Because I have felt them myself. And I also just want to like. Provide a little humor. A little a little different perspective too. Um, and hopefully that's not. Rampantly, ramp, rampantly. Hopefully that's not super inappropriate. For this PG episode. Where I'm cursing a whole lot. <laughs> but. Another thing that I'm thinking of, too, when it comes to being afraid of the gym is I would encourage you to write down some of those things that you feel like are holding you back. And if you realize that the gym is just providing more anxiety than joy, then why go? There's other things that you can do. There's other forms of movement that are just as productive. And again, when we're talking about this fitness paradox, the gym, again, isn't the only productive form of movement. Now, I was very lucky, in a sense, uh, or privileged, maybe that's the better word, during undergrad and college, because part of my hobby was weightlifting. I did truly enjoy it. And now that I'm out of the fitness industry, now that my relationship with exercise is also healed and I exercise to celebrate my body for happiness, to relieve pain, to challenge myself, and it's not out of hatred towards my body, I also recognize that the people whose hobby is to weightlift has the, the gym, the situation of the gym much easier than those that truly don't find joy in weightlifting. And guess what? That's okay. The people that weightlift are not better, are not more disciplined, are not having better willpower at all. That is not what that means. It just means that they enjoy it. And it doesn't have to be any deeper than that. And so if we go back to, well, what are things that I did for play as a kid? Maybe that can help open up that door to think of what are these other ways of movement that I can start to engage in where it doesn't feel like all eyes are on me or it doesn't feel like it's stressful or we dread going there. It's just, oh yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I could get into that today. Let's do it. I'll make some time or, oh yeah, I have time. Let's, let's go. Because what I can tell you from my own personal experience and working with clients is that movement is so much more enjoyable, fun, rewarding when it's doing something that makes you feel good. So those were my angry thoughts today with a lot of jokes and rambles and I feel like I had a little tantrum in it too. <laughs> and as I said before, my next episode is going to be all about calories in versus calories out, and I might piss some people off with that one. And you know what? I'm excited about it. So, in oh, uh, <laughs> so join me in the next episode where we're all going to get hangry together and maybe, maybe we'll piss some people off in the process. All right, you guys, have a good rest of your week and I'll catch you next time. Bye.